Happy Father's Day. I know for many of us, this is a special day. It's fun. We get to uh, connect with dads, our dads, or have some time with the family. For others, this is a difficult day. Perhaps dad isn't, isn't around, or there was a, a tough relationship with dad, or and so I know that there's there's a mixture of emotions that folks have today in regards to their fathers. You know, some of our greatest setbacks in life have to do with our relationship to our fathers, and some of our greatest privileges and advantages that we have in life have to do with our relationship to our fathers and how they fulfilled their role or didn't fulfill their role in in our lives. And so this morning, uh, we're going to do a uh, topical message on um, talking about the intentional father from Psalm 78 this morning. But let me just first give a few stats um, that you can find if you can read those up here um, about fathers in the absence, the father absence crisis in America. Okay. Um <clears throat> Research shows that when a child is raised in a, in a father absent home, they are affected in the following ways. They are four times greater risks of poverty. They're more likely to have behavioral problems, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crimes, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity, two times more likely to drop out of school. John Tyson, in his book, The Intentional Father, says the role of fatherhood is one of the most overlooked yet crucial roles in our society. The data in our own experience could not be clearer. When a father is present, emotionally healthy, and involved in his child's life, the child has a tremendous advantage in the world to navigate its complexities and challenges with joy and confidence. Now, as I read these statistics, I can't help but be reminded that I was becoming one of those. I was one of those statistics as a teenager at growing up in a home where my father wasn't present and my father didn't fulfill his fatherly role in a godly way to love and to lead and to faithfully be present with my mom and with me. And so I experienced the brokenness was passed on down. The influence, the pattern of sinfulness was repeated through in my own life, I was having a conversation recently with my own son. We were listening uh, about this. We were listening to actually Kenny's new song, Kenny Collado's new song, Curses. And I started explaining to him this tendency. He asked about it. And he, I started explaining to him this tendency we have as children to repeat some of the sinful habits of our parents, of our dads particularly. And... And, and, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes that and breaks that cycle. And that's what's happened in my own life. That's what I've experienced in my own life through the mercy and the grace of, of Jesus Christ. And, 
And so, like I said, so our relationship to our fathers can be some of our most, um, uh, can, can add to some of the greatest setbacks that we have or be some of the greatest advantages that we have. Now, I grew up with a, with a dad who struggled with alcoholism, who was addicted, uh, to, to alcohol and, and he wasn't walking with the Lord and he wasn't present and, and it left me to kind of figure some things out myself as a child, as I, as I moved into teenage years and I started hanging out with, with gangs or thugs, wannabe gangster, and I was looking for, for, for masculine affirmation. I was looking for other young men to affirm me and tell me who I was because I didn't have my dad around to do that. And I've cried many tears, uh, around this particular issue of, of a father wound. And, and through my relationship with Jesus Christ and, and my heavenly father that I have now is in knowing him intimately as father who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So much of my brokenness has been healed and mended and whole. And I'm able to lead out of a place of having been set free and healed and made whole rather than repeating the brokenness that I saw and experienced in my father's life to my children. There are strengths of a, uh, of a father being present. This is from the National Fatherhood Initiative website. You can look up and, and read some more about this. Children with involved fathers have a strong foundation for, for a child's well-being. They are lower, at lower risk for a host, for a host of poor childhood outcomes. Ah, excuse me. Let me enlarge that. Here's some of the risks. Infant mortality, lower, lower birth weight, emotional behavior problems, neglect and abuse, um, injury, injury, obesity, poor school performance, teen pregnancy, Incarceration as juveniles, alcohol and substance abuse, criminal activity, and suicide. Frederick Douglass said that it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken children. It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken children. John Tyson goes on and he describes five different types of fathers. There's the irresponsible father, the ignorant father. Who just doesn't know what he's doing. The inconsistent father. Who's distracted with hobbies or vocation. The involved father. The one who's present. And, and, and then the intentional father. And he defines the intentional father as this. He says the intentional father is deeply invested in discovering who his children are and how he can help them reach the redemptive potential. He seeks to understand the children God has given them and wants to form them into young persons who can fulfill their purpose. He, he sees parenting as a, as central to his call before God and he does it with all his might. This kind of father leaves multi-generational blessing in the lives of his children. So with that said, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 78. And we're going to look at 
this idea of being an intentional father. And of course, this applies to mothers as well, to parents, because it's Father's Day. I'm specifically directing this towards dads. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we looked at examples to learn from. And the Apostle Paul pointed back Israelites as examples, negative examples that we should learn from. And these things that were written were written in Scripture so that we have these examples to learn from. The Bible puts before us both positive and negative examples for us to learn from. And the psalm, the psalmist does the same thing in Psalm chapter 78. He recalls the history of the Israelites and how God was faithful to them through bringing them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, but in all that God did good for them, all his faithfulness and goodness and loving kindness that he showered down and displayed towards them, they were unfaithful. To him. And we looked at last week how God is faithful. God is faithful who with each temptation will make a way of escape that you and I may be able to endure it. And so let's read Psalm 78 as the psalmist, Psalm, Psalm, uh, the psalmist Asaph recounts the history of redemption in the lives of the Israelites and their response to them. We won't, we're not going to read the whole psalm for the sake of time. There's 72 verses, but I encourage you to read through it later on. Uh, and if you all would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Father, as we open your word, would you open our ears and our eyes to see wonderful things? To see your goodness, to see your wisdom, to see your power, your wonders. And that we would be changed by beholding you and your great works. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. And incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings. From of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but we will tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here's our big idea this morning on Father's Day. God calls fathers to influence their children 
teaching them by teaching them what he has done and said so that they will hope in God, remember his works, obey his commands and avoid unfaithfulness to God. Now, first of all, let me just say it is a weighty responsibility that both fathers and mothers have, right? We have the responsibility to reflect God's character to our children, to display to them what God is like, to teach them about God, not only with our words, but with the way we live our lives. Okay, we're to set an example before them and we're to teach them to communicate who God is and what God has done. And we live in a day where there is so much distraction, where there are so many things pulling at the attention at the hearts and the minds of both adults and children. And so we face all kinds of challenges and we all bring our own brokenness and our own baggage from from our history with our parents or lack of. And so God teaches us through his example and through his word how to be faithful, how to be loving, how to be uh, parents that he's called us to be. We see in the Israelites a, a pattern of unfaithfulness. Even though God had fathered them well, even though God had carried them through the wilderness, he had brought them out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And, and the, psalm, the psalmist tells us that they were stubborn, they were rebellious, they were unfaithful to God, they forgot. By the way, we all have a tendency to forget God. We have a tendency towards spiritual amnesia. And we need all the help to remember that we can get. And one of the ways that we remember what God has done here at City Church, we do this every week, is we partake of communion. And we remember that Christ gave his life for us. That his body was broken for us. That his blood was shed for us. So they forgot God. They, they sinned in the wilderness. They, they tested God. They did not believe God. They did not trust in His saving power. They flattered and lied to God. Their heart was not steadfast. They were unfaithful to the covenant. They grieved God. They provoked God to anger. And they moved God to jealousy. We talked a little bit about this last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 21. This is exactly what the apostle Paul was talking about. He was pointing to their example and their negative example in following God in the wilderness. And, and uh, towards the end, I, I finished with, with addressing this idea of God being a jealous God. And many people push back on that and reject this idea and find it very difficult to accept people like Oprah, Oprah Rimfrey. I mentioned that last week. <clears throat> uh, and so let me just, let me just highlight this, uh, just to, to follow up on, on that thought on divine jealousy. This is from Sam Storms. He says, divine jealousy is the zeal to protect a love relationship or to avenge it when it is broken. Jealousy in God is that passionate energy that provokes and stirs and moves him 
to take action against whatever or whoever stands in the way of his enjoyment of what he loves and desires. The intensity of God's anger at threats to his, to this relationship is directly proportionate to the depths of his love. We talked about this last week. How this jealousy that God has for his people is rooted in his love. It's rooted in his love for us. And so we see the Israelites totally misunderstanding the heart of God. Okay? In Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses gives, gives a summary of their missing God's heart. Misunderstanding who he was. He says, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord, your God. You murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Now, I want you to see this because this this is what happens in the lives of many who misunderstand and and get a, a skewed view of who God is. When we think that God is out to get us and that his intention is to destroy us, we're, we're, we're going to do what they did. Murmur, complain, rebel. It leads to unbelief. It leads to rebellion. And we see many of the Israelites missing the very heart of God, the very heart of the Father who even in the Old Testament he revealed himself as the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is. And we see in the New Testament, we see Jesus taking on flesh and embodying grace and truth. We see him displaying the character of the Father, the power and the glory of God on earth in And through his human body that he took on. And so we see that they miss the heart of God. And they didn't believe God's word. Verse 29. Then you said, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Our God is for us and he fights for us. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went through, that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. And you went, who who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night, in cloud by day, to show you by what, by, by what way you should go. And so here's a, a negative example to, to learn from. And in these first verses, the psalmist starts out saying, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And so the first exhortation to dads that I want to encourage you with this morning is that that you as a father must hear and heed God's words. Don't you want that from your children? 
Don't you want your children to hear you and heed you, moms and dads? When you say, hey, load the dishwasher. Hey, get dressed. Hey, brush your teeth. Hey, it's time to get in bed. You want them to listen, to tune in to your voice. Hey, it's, it's time for devotionals. Hey, come, it's time, it's time to, time to eat. We want our children to respond to our voice and we want them to, to hear our heart and know our heart. Respond to our instructions. And God calls his people to do the same. And if we want our children to heed our voice, we need to be those who heed the voice of God, who hear and heed the voice of God. If we're going to faithfully teach our children and influence them with God's words, we must first allow our hearts to be shaped and formed and influenced and impacted by the word of God ourselves, right? We must, we must let him be our meditation. We must have a passion for him and, and, and a love for him that I, I believe if our kids see that within us, they're more likely to catch that passion, that love for Jesus, for God. And so fathers must first hear and heed God's words. And then we see um, this next section, verse 4. He says, we will not hide them from their children. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and wonders that he has done. Fathers must tell their children of God's words and works. Rehearse the story. Tell of his redemption. Tell biblical stories of redemption. The Israelites did this every year. They were commanded to celebrate the Passover. And they would rehearse the Exodus. They would go through how God had delivered them out of Egypt. And they would explain to their children what God had done. They would, and, and this psalm highlights all that. He parted the Red Sea for them. He, he led them uh, with a cloud by day and a fire by night. He split rocks and made water flow out, out uh, for them to drink. He rained down manna. He rained down meat. And he brought ten plagues on Egypt. And Psalm 78 goes through this and highlights God's works, God's wonders. If we want our children to be captivated with awe and wonder, then we must be captivated with awe and wonder ourselves by who God is. Okay? And so we simply tell the stories. And, and, and not only the stories of Scripture, but also of our own experiences. Tell your kids how God has showed up in your life. I was doing this this week with my own kids. We had a devotional on John 3 about being born again. We're going through the book of John uh, this summer. Our kids are, are reading through the book of John. And uh, we have a little checklist for them. And I told, my, I told them to anytime they see a miracle that Jesus does, take note of that miracle, okay? There's seven specific signs that, that point to who Jesus is in the Gospel of John. And then uh, anytime Jesus has an I am statement in, in the Gospel of John, take note of that. And so I was explaining to them, uh, we were in John chapter 3, we watched a little chosen uh, clip of that interaction with Nicodemus and Jesus from the Chosen series, 
And we had this really powerful moment this past week just talking about what it means to be born again. And, and unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God. Okay, this is the work of God. And I explained to them when I, when daddy got born again and what happened, the night and day difference, the transformation of what took place in my life when I got born again. Tell them your story of redemption. Tell your kids how God has showed up, how God has provided for you in difficult times in the past. And, and, and many of those times they get to be a part of and they get to see God show up. Tell them about how God has delivered you from death, the near-death experiences that you've had, and you cried out to God, and God showed up and had mercy on you. And so, fathers, tell your children of the works and the wonders of God from Scripture and from your own experience walking with God. And here's, here's the effects. When, when, when there is a generational transfer of telling and teaching our children here's what the psalmist is aiming for here's what he says this is this is why we're to do this so that our children would hope in god so that our children would hope in god and not forget the works of god don't forget keep the commandments that they might obey god that they would not be like their fathers who were stubborn and rebellious and not steadfast and who were not faithful to God. And so these are the effects of an intentional father. We want to be intentional. Being uh, <clears throat> being an intentional father does not happen by coasting. Okay? It takes intentionality. We must intentionally invest in the lives of our children, spend time with them, encourage them, talk to them, answer their questions. And again, the aim here is that they would hope in God, remember God's works, keep God's commands, and avoid stubbornness and rebelliousness. Verse 5 teaches us that fathers or parents must teach their children Scripture. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. The great Shema Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. God charged the Israelite parents with the responsibility to teach them God's ways, to teach them God's commands. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says, I command you today, uh, the commands that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Doesn't say teach them casually. Teach, teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. Some intentionality that has to happen in this. And a part of teaching, a, a huge part of teaching is explanation. We need to explain. Not just tell the stories of Scripture and not just tell our kids what to do. We want to give them the why behind it. We want to explain what the stories mean. Okay? 
I'm not satisfied with just my kids parenting, parroting to me the Bible stories that they've picked up over the years. Actually, sometimes it turns me off when, when one of my kids kind of, and like, oh, I know that story. We don't need to listen to that. When, when I get that sense of like, oh, yeah, we know that. But, but to, to me, it bothers me when my, my children know just enough of the story to feel like they got it. But, but then when they're pressed to find out what, what does that mean, right? Uh, and when there's a lack of understanding of what it means, I, it, it helps me see that I, need to, I have some more work to do here. Telling the story so they are familiar with it's one thing. And that's a place, a good place to start. All right? But then we got to explain the stories of Scripture to our children. Explain who God is. Explain what, what He promises to us. Explain what He demands of us. Explain why we should love and obey God. God says that, I command these things for your good. For your good. Explain the consequences of not being faithful to God. So dads, give explanation to your children. In the New Testament, we're exhorted by the Apostle Paul, dads, um, in this way, in, in Ephesians 6, verse 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians three twenty one says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Dads, we know that in our lowest moments, we have a tendency to exasperate and irritate and discourage our children. We have a tendency to provoke them to anger and cause them to blow up or a tendency to provoke them to discouragement and cause them to give up. And the scripture calls us to raise them up, to build them up, to teach them to, to bring them up in the instruction, the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. I love how uh, Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Don't come down hard on them, but take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. I, I love uh, the, the analogy of um, <clears throat> that illustrates giving good advice, giving advice versus giving assistance, okay? Imagine you're, you're doing a house project outside on your house and you're sweating and it's difficult and it's hard and you're frustrated and you got some neighbors who walk by and they're like, hey, you know what you should do? You should put this over there and do this over there, put this over here and you should do this and that. And then they just go on about their way. They give you some good advice. This is what you should do. And then another neighbor, hey, you know what you should, that, that really doesn't look good there. You know what you should do is you put this over here. And, and they give you, they tell you what they, you should do. But then if, if a neighbor steps up and says, hey, let me help you. Okay. By the way, um, this, this sound booth by, right back here, let me just highlight Kasten Neb who uh, fixed up, he built a new sound booth back here. 
it needed some attention. The old one needed some attention. My my poor craftsmanship uh, on on the old one, uh, and and he graciously uh, used his craftsmanship to build a beautiful uh, sound booth back there. So thank you, Caston, for that. Just an example. Um, and so it's one thing to give advice and say, oh, you know, gosh, you should fix that sound booth over there. You know, it needs a few more boards. Actually, the whole thing needs to be taken down and it needs to be replaced. He didn't just give good advice about the sound booth. He gave assistance and he, he came in and he lifted the load. And that's what God has done for us. He has stepped in. He has lifted the load that we can't carry ourselves where we're incompetent, when we're unable to do what, what we need to do. He has come in and given us his grace, his help. He's come alongside. And this is what good fathers do. This is what godly fathers do. They don't just instruct and give advice and say, you should do this. They come alongside and they do it with them patiently. I mean, Jesus did this, right? He modeled for the disciples what they should do, right? He modeled for them, and then he had them do it, right, with his help, with him around. And then he eventually sent them out to go do what they, what he was doing and what he had called them to do. And so we are to give encouragement. We're to, we're to give uh, explanation, dads. But also give encouragement. Okay? This involves affirmation. It it involves building our children up with with affirming words. Okay? Instead of just telling, if if we're just telling them what to do and and giving them advice and giving them instruction and informing them, this is how you should have did it, son or daughter. If that's all they hear from us, they're going to tend to feel like they can never measure up to dad's standards if all they hear is this is what you should have did this is how you're supposed to do it they need to hear dad say well done they need to hear dad call out the good that 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 we do see within our children raise your children up with words of grace avoid bringing them down with discouragement bring them up in god's ways and oftentimes we have to listen to them and hear where they're at. Okay? If we're going to skillfully do this, it often takes for us to listen, to ask questions, rather than to assume. And lastly, well, not lastly, but um, thirdly, uh, be an example to your children. Give them explanation, give them encouragement, and give them an example to follow of godliness. In this psalm, the psalm puts before us a couple of different examples. The negative examples of the Israelites and their unfaithfulness. The, the positive example of Yahweh who had carried them through. And then at a high point in Israel's history, the psalmist Asap highlights David. Okay? This is where when there was good king, when there were good kings, things tended to go, go well for Israel. When there were bad, when, when there was bad leadership, Things tended to go bad. And at the very end of this psalm, I, I love this, specific, this, this Psalm 70, 78, 72. It says, uh, he chose David, his servant, and took him out of the sheepfolds from following the nursing Oz 
and, and brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With an upright heart, he shepherded, he shepherded them, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Think about this. They, they, he highlights David's example of leadership and he highlights two particular things. His upright heart. Another translation says integrity of heart. I like that, integrity of heart. Okay? And he guided them with his skillful hand. You see, in this verse, we have a a makeup of a godly leader. Somebody who has character and somebody who has competence. Okay? Somebody who has character on the inside. Uprightness integrity on the inside and then also somebody who has ability to lead well with with skill all right um warren wearsby says integrity and skill need each other for no amount of ability can compensate for a sinful heart and no amount of devotion to god can overcome lack of ability and so dads we need to be those who lead with integrity of heart. The Hebrew word that's translated uh, into integrity or upright here is the word tom. Tom. I have a, after discovering this recently, I have a higher respect for the name Tom. Brianne, I know that's your dad's name. Shout out to Brianne's father who passed away last month. Um, but the word Tom means blamelessness, integrity, or innocence. If you look up the English word for integrity, you find that it means the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness, the state of being whole and undivided. Okay, now why did I have a picture of fruit over here? Because fruit, when you go to the supermarket, God has designed fruit to have integrity. And what I mean by that is you look on the outside of that fruit and it gives you an indicator of what's on the inside. Okay? So you go to get bananas and if the bananas are green, they're not ready. All right, you don't get green bananas unless you're going to eat them three or four or five days later. All right, you want yellow bananas. If you want to eat them then, yellow with, with, with light spots, brown spots, lightly spotted bananas that are just ready for the consuming, for the glory of God. <laughs> Watermelons. When you go to get a watermelon, I did this recently, you got to make sure and knock on it and listen for that little hollow sound. I don't know why you do that. I don't know why I do that. And I don't know what I'm listening for when I knock on it, but I just do it. And I'm just like, oh, I'm going to get this one. <laughs> if, if, the watermelon, if the watermelon has mold on it, I'm not going to get it. All right. If it's cracked, I'm not going to get it. Uh, the same with apples. We all know what bad apples look like, all right? You don't want to buy bad apples. And so God has designed fruit to, to, on the outside, give indicators of what's on the inside. And to be a person of integrity means that you have truth 
on the inside of your being. Okay, on the inside of your being, you're not portraying yourself to be one person while really you're a whole different person. Integrity is, is, is having truth and honesty on the inside of your being or wholeness, undividedness. I like that. Okay, we want to be people of integrity, people of character. Fathers, we want to be dads who lead with integrity, with truth. We want truth on the inside. And David was a man who led with this. David was a man of integrity. He was a man after God's own heart. He loved the truth. Psalm 119, he celebrated the truth of God's word and he just praised God and worshiped God from the inside out. Here's some, here's some verses from David on integrity. He says, may integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity and redeem me and be gracious to me. For you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Psalm 101, 2, it says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. Behold, you delight in truth and, and in the inner inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now, y'all know what Psalm 51 is, right? Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance when he had not walked in integrity. Because those of you who know the story of David know that he certainly wasn't sinless. He certainly wasn't perfect. Actually, he was chilling when at a time when kings were going out to battle, he was chilling on his rooftop. And he looked over to a young lady lady bathing and looked at something he shouldn't have been looking at and then had her come to him and he committed adultery with Bathsheba okay and had Bathsheba's husband Uriah put out on the front lines of battle and he died and then they had a baby David and Bathsheba and that baby died and David tried to cover up the sinful acts of adultery of murder, lying. He wasn't walking integrity. But at the core of who David was, this was not who he was. This was not who he was, and this is not how the Scripture defines him. Even in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 13, we have David as a man after God's own heart. David repented. He said, create in me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And so dads, I know that you and I have blown it in some major ways. Maybe it's some ways that we feel ashamed of. If we had our lowest moments played on a screen here today, we would feel ashamed. And God offers us an opportunity to repent, to have our sins forgiven, to have our sins cleansed. I I love that in in this psalm, Psalm 51, verse 7, David says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. God wants integrity and truth 
and the inward being inside of you and me. And he wants us to lead in that way, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And not be fake and false. Our kids can detect it when we're putting on a show, can't they? They have sincerity meters. And they know when mom and dad are just talk. And they know, they know what mom and dad really love. They watch it. We can, mom and dad can say they love one thing, but their lives show their kids. Our lives show our kids what we really love, who we really love. Some of the benefits of integrity are stability and guidance and deliverance. And so the Bible encourages us to be people of integrity. And let me just finish with Jesus as our ultimate example. Jesus is the greater David. This psalm, Psalm 78, highlights King David, the king, that one of the high moments in Israel's history when things were going better because there was a godly leader leading well. But even he failed. And all the, the, the heroes of the Bible have their flaws and have their failures. But there's one who passed every test. And that's Jesus. And Jesus came and he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He didn't sin. He resisted. He, he passed the test that Israel failed to pass. He passed the test that you dads and moms and children, that you failed the pass. Jesus was the obedient son all the way to the point of death and death on a cross, Right? And so Jesus passed the test. Notice what John declares about who Jesus is in John 11 or John 1, uh, 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has displayed what the Father is like, one who's full of grace and truth, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I remember trying to explain this to my, my son years ago. I was trying to explain to him how God, well, he, when he was hearing about the story of Moses, he was like, what, God got mad? Because in his mind, he's just thinking whenever he gets mad or his brothers and sisters get mad, that's wrong, that's sinful, Right? But it got, he was like wrestling with what God got mad. And I was explaining it. To, I explained it to him with a song. By the way, this is a very practical way to teach your kids songs. This is what the Psalms were. They were songs that taught truths, right? Songs have a powerful way of shaping our lives, either for good or bad. Uh, I, when it's summertime, I just think about summertime when I was a kid and I got discipled through MTV, that was my discipleship when I was a kid. Mentally and emotionally, I was formed and shaped by songs and videos that were coming through a screen. Okay? And songs still teach today. They're powerful. The arts have a powerful way of unlocking the keys of our heart without giving permission. And so our... Uh, I, 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 taught, I taught my son about God being slow to anger and him being gracious and compassionate with, with 
singing the song 10,000 Reasons. I started singing it to him. It was our favorite song at the time. You're rich and love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And it clicked. It was just a song, simple song that, that we had sung that he knew the lyrics to. He knew the melody. And I explained to him who God was through a song. There's some great resources out there that I want to encourage you parents to use. One of them, the New City Catechism, which has songs for each one of those catechism questions. And they, they, there's question and answer, and it explains truths of Scripture, foundational truths about God, about the Trinity, uh, about the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and just some of the very basics that we want all our kids to know. Uh, there's great worship albums out there like Seeds Family Worship that just sing scripture songs. Right now, media is loaded with all kinds of resources to influence your kids with. Good resources to help aid you in trying to teach them God's ways. Slugs and Bugs is another favorite that, uh, that I love to pull out. I love their version of the Ten Commandments. It's just hilarious. It's fun, it's funny, and it teaches the Ten Commandments. And so be creative in, in how you engage your kids, dads. Use whatever means you can use to engage their hearts. Use moments that come up. Use moments that come up. Like this past week, my, me and my two boys were on our way to Academy to get a Father's Day gift. Because that's a cool dad's place right there, Academy or Home Depot, right? Bass Pro. Pro, okay. So we're on our way there to get a Father's Day gift, and we had a moment. Here we're walking through the hot sun. We're trying to stay in the shade. We had a moment, and there was an African-American man there who uh, got my attention, and, uh, and he let me know. He just started sharing his heart how somebody at the store, uh, right, the, the store had come out, and said, he came out and he said, sorry, we don't need any black people asking for money around here. And he was hurt. He was hurt by those words. And he's like, man, I'm not asking for money. I'm just, I'm, I, I was in the store. I'm waiting on my ride. And he was explaining the story to me. And I just, I listened. I just listened. Okay. I listened to him, share his hurt, share what happened. I got to validate that that was wrong, you know. I got to pray with him. And when me and my boys left, he, he had a big smile on his face, right? When, when we saw him, he was distressed. He was struggling. He was hurting. He was just hum, a humble, humble brother. And my sons got to be there in that moment. They got to be there in that moment when I got to show some kindness and push back on some uh, pushback and 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 communicate racism's wrong. We should treat everybody with dignity. Every one of us who's made in the image of God with dignity, with love and respect. And my son got to experience that was a moment. That was a teaching moment for me and my boys. Okay? 
So there will be moments that come along that maybe you're not prepared for, maybe you're not planning for. And, and there are opportunities to teach our kids about God's ways, God's heart, the one who's full of grace and truth. And we want to seize those moments, not miss those opportunities that come our way. Jesus did this. I mean, Jesus was living his life and walking with his disciples and doing ministry, and things would come up. Arguments and debates would come up. Situations would come up, and Jesus would use those moments as opportunities to teach his disciples. And that's, that's what we have to do with our kids. As current events come up, as big, you know, stuff like war comes up, stuff like uh, shootings come up, and, and things that just have an effect on us mentally and emotionally. We need dads. Our children need their dads and their moms engaged, emotionally healthy, present, engaged, and, and teaching them the ways of God through this wicked and perverse generation and so let me close an application here two points of application behold the glory of who god is and become more like him get a good glimpse of your heavenly father today i don't know what your relationship with your earthly father's like if you had a great dad or not but even if you had a great dad many of us have father wounds and, and there's no dad that, that measures up to the perfection of our Heavenly Father. And we need to know Him personally and intimately. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that. Helps us to relate to God as Father. Paul says that, that we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. Who is the spirit? So how are we changed? How do we become like God? We're told to imitate God as as precious beloved children. Imitate God. Be transformed. Right? How, How do we change? We change through the truth of scripture. By the renewing of our mind that comes through scripture. And we change by the power of the spirit. Working in our hearts and our lives. And as we're beholding, as we're, we're gazing upon who God is, the glory of who he is, of what he's done. And we see that ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. Glory. And, and, and John sums it up with, with two statements, grace and truth, full of grace and truth. His integrity was perfect. He didn't compromise in truth. He was faithful he was gracious and is gracious. And lastly, be intentional about leading your children into beholding and loving the Lord. Don't coast. Don't, don't put off that responsibility to anyone else. Here at City Church, we have children's ministry. And our aim in children's ministry is to partner with parents. Partner with parents and pointing our kids to Jesus. Right? So... It's, it's mom and dad's responsibility to lead and to love children, their children. And so let's, let's pray and Kevin's going to lead us. Lord, thank you. 
Thank you for being good and gracious to us, patient with us. Thank you for picking us up when we fall, for helping us clean up our messes when we make messes, from not listening to you. You're a good, good father. And I pray that here at City Church, God, you would stir our hearts, God, that you would bring revival to our relationship with you. That you would renew the passion, that you would renew the love. Help us to grasp the depth and the width and the height of your love by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.